Welcome to episode 56 of the Antenu Energy Transition Podcast. Today with Executive Vice President for Sustainability at Sintef, Niels Röcke, and we recorded this episode live at Haifa Festival. Let's go. The first advice was was really to look at the, the local solutions and what you can do uh, to develop uh, renewable energy. Uh, the second was about uh, use the right energy carrier for the right purpose. It's not only electricity, as I said. And and the third was kind of default one. You know, we are spending like uh, a half uh, or a thousand percent uh, in uh, research in energy in Norway, which is obviously not enough to address the most looming problem in the world, you know, which is climate and emissions. Welcome to episode 56 of the Antinu Energy Transition Podcast. And today we are in Stammen Bar Cafe and I'm not alone and I'm not just with my guests, but we have a big crowd here. So bring it up, everyone. Make some noise. Yes, that gives us some energy. Hey, welcome. This is the first episode uh, with an audience. So far, we've had more than 50 episodes, but that was one-on-ones and I'm very happy to do this today here as part of the Haifer Knowledge Festival which is a knowledge festival co-organized by Antinu and we're sitting in downtown Trondheim and we're going to talk about how to tackle the electricity deficit that we are facing in Norway um, that is due in 2027 and uh, obviously I'm not alone because I can talk a lot but I'm not sure if people would actually listen to me that much so that's why we normally invite guests and today we have uh, the executive vice president for sustainability here who works at Sintef and his name is Niels Röcke. So welcome to the podcast, dear Niels. Thank you very much. Niels, tell me, uh, what does an EVP, what does an EVP actually do at, at Sintef? Are you, are, you, are, you still doing, are you still doing research or are you doing other things? Well, I didn't go into the lab anymore, you know, which was my kind of research topics was uh, combustion and uh, to see how we can reduce emissions from burning stuff, you know. And uh, I stopped doing that about 20 years ago. And uh, after that, I've been more assembling data and knowledge and then trying to see patterns on where we need to move and uh, basically to stop burning things. So it's uh, full circle from taking a PhD in combustion until coming back and really looking at what, what else can we do than to burn uh, fossil fuels. All right, so you did research, then you went to Rolls-Royce. What was the decision to leave Rolls-Royce and come to Sintef? Because I wanted to make more efficient gas turbines. Uh, that was my driver and it is the core of the, uh, the training and the education I had. And um, it was a bit strange, you know, because we've been working, I've been working then for five years in Rolls-Royce trying to increase the efficiency of these gas turbines. So gas turbines for power, it could be for uh, propelling boats or, you know, you mostly know them because they hang on the wing of planes, you know, uh, trying to increase the efficiency by 0.1, 0.2%. And then <clears throat> I was attracted by, by Sintef and, and Tanu doing a lot of work on uh, doing carbon capture storage uh, technologies, which means taking out the carbon from these kind of machines or other kind of burning uh, processes, uh, which actually would remove about 8 or 9% of the efficiency. And in my farewell party uh, from Rolls-Royce, they said, Nils is going to do silly cycles. And that's like uh, 20 years ago, 22 years ago. And uh, now we see this is at the core, really, of what we're trying to do to decarbonize the society. Yeah. And you said that back in the day you were working really with turbines and, and now you're uh, executive vice president. W what do you do in your day-to-day -day life? You say you assemble data, but you are also leading big projects like the Hydrogenie project and you also write a column in Forbes. So is that part of your job description? Mm, well, I've developed my job description myself, really. So it's it's part of my, my job is to assemble uh, and to get all this knowledge and to also to... To, to work together with other people to act as a think tank in, in Sintef and to develop new projects which are contributing to the sustainability agenda. That, that is kind of my work in, in Sintef. And we have also established uh, strategic uh, corporate initiatives which are uh, along this agenda, like, uh, for instance, on 
nature, biodiversity and area use. We have a strategic initiative which I've taken the initiative for. We have on climate uh, positive solutions. The latest one is in global sustainable development. And uh, well, if you go back a bit back, also on, on hydrogen. So, I mean, this is um, this is how we work in Sintef. We work through projects, and then we're trying to to put in the uh, the agenda setting for the right projects, and then to do the projects in cooperation with other partners. All right, all right. So but also, I mean, now we're, we're drafting a new uh, corporate strategy, and uh, of, of course, uh, my responsibility would be the sustainability uh, of the new strategic uh, strategy for for Sintef. And that's why you're wearing the SDGs on your on your on your uh, on your chest, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of mandatory, isn't it? Is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who of you has SDGs uh, badges? Maybe you should get some of these, actually. Well, better you do wear them some, all the time. Like better do I, something. Well, I guess, when I yeah. met you first yeah. time in Arndal, you, you had that thing on every day. Do you have it on you every day? Well, when I wear uh, this kind of jackets, yes. Okay. Some people actually ask what it is. Not in your pajamas. <laughs> no, no, not in my pajamas. But <laughs> I don't wear pajamas. Well, but <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I mean a, a lot of people ask what it is, you know, and some people think it's uh, LBQT+. Plus, and I say, yes, well, I mean, you can interpret it as you want. Oh. So... <laughs> Let's go into real content here. <laughs> I like talking about the pajamas within an EVP here. But no, you started at Sintef Energy Research, but now you're connected at Sintef staff level, isn't it? Can you? Yeah. Why did that happen? Why are you not in, in Sintef research, uh, Energy Research anymore? Well, because these topics, I mean, first I, I, I took the position as climate director for climate technology as a corporate uh, level. Um, and then trying to assemble all the activities we have into one kind of consistent uh, drive towards this uh, decarbonization. Then I uh, took a position as director of climate, which is a quite specific or strange title, really, uh, having responsibility for the climate. But anyway, it means all the kind of technologies we, we are do doing. And, and then the next was the sustainability, which... I mean, it extends beyond technology, obviously, uh, social, economic, and, and so forth. So we're really trying to develop um, and to point the direction of Sintef to be in that direction. Interesting. When you look at the webpage from Sintef, you see technology for a better world. And now you say it's beyond technology. How does that Technology for a better society, actually. No, but no. World is, uh, that's for, uh, that's... No, but it's not, but Antenu is not technology for a better world. It's uh, knowledge for a knowledge, better world. Yeah. And Sintef is? Technology for a better society. Okay, so society's in that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, you also... I think Antenu has the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all right. You do also society at Sintef, yeah? Because I think you're <laughs> well, just tech guys. the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. right, I mean, easy. We're, we're easy. kind of... You do it all. Oh, sisters or brothers, yeah. you know, okay. uh, From another mother, yeah. okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm getting into chatting here with you. That's kind of, it's a nice feeling. Good. Niels, we are talking about the energy transition today in, in Norway. Yeah. And um, the title is How to Tackle the Electricity Deficit in Norway that is due in 27. But for that, I think we have to nurture the ground a bit maybe right now. So mm -hmm. can you give us an idea from your perspective, like where are we right now with the energy transition in Norway? What are challenges? Um, where is it going well? Um, where are we? Right, so it's, it's quite a large question, actually. But, I mean, um, we are among the most electrified countries in the world. Um, so if you look to electricity mix, we are doing quite well. But if you look to the complete energy system, we are you know, something like 50% electricity uh, fed because we have a lot of fossil fuels in the transport and also in the oil and gas uh, area. Um What we've been used to in Norway is that we are producing uh, more than we need, even uh, if, you, if you look into the spatial uh, uh, resolution, uh, and that there is a possibility to exchange. And this has been a, a great discourse in, in the Norwegian discussion, really, about these cables and the export and so forth of uh, electricity. But it's clear that as 50% of the energy comes from, from fossil, uh, we would need to electrify what we, what we can, really. And that is the energy transition in Norway, I think, uh, electrification, and also to use uh, zero emission molecules in that uh, transition, which means, uh, well, guess what, hydrogen, ammonia, um, and um, uh, maybe we could use uh, CCS as well as a tool. And not to forget uh, the importance of energy efficiency. 
and that we uh, we are sure that we use uh, whatever we have of waste heat and so forth huge potential there and uh, we know that we can fill this gap by the traditional uh, measures which have been re really through hydropower which has been a, a big environmental fight in Norway that's the traditional fight about using nature for producing hydropower uh, wind power we know that it's a contentious issue especially onshore wind and I also think that we'll we'll well probably discuss that a bit uh, a bit later and now we see the, you know solar could also uh, fit into the picture here um, as I mentioned electricity um, no sorry efficiency improvements and um, maybe the, the uh, I, I just wrote an article in Forbes actually about degrowth or post growth, you know, and um, that um, the uh, uh, the reduced use of energy is also a very important part of this, which is not that much much uh, discussed. But when it comes to post growth or degrowth kind of of uh, strategies, it kind of crashes with the whole thinking of our economic system. Yeah, let's talk about degrowth later. I also, right. also have it on, on my list. Niels, you just mentioned uh, you, you mentioned nature as a term. Um, when we when you think about the energy transition here, you mentioned as well like okay, we are going to electrify a lot, but you also said okay, we need offshore wind for that. We need onshore wind for that. There's a lot of society societal issues or social acceptance topics involved in there. Yeah. What what are the big trade offs that you see? Um, maybe in Norway, maybe in the Nordics, maybe in the EU. Well, I mean, usually I, I describe this as in, in the energy trilemma, you know, which is affordability, com, uh, competitiveness, and then the uh, uh, sustainability. And um, so we are all the time discussing about this. Should we be more competitive and go in that direction, uh, thus reducing uh, the demand or the need for sustainability? Or, or uh, should we be going into the uh, direction of supplies, you know? And obviously, this is this is the, the triangle we are working in uh, all the time. I I really think that um, um, as we, we are putting more and more restrictions on um, the uh, uh, energy transition and how it uh, uh, should be. I mean, it should be socially acceptable. It should be nature neutral or at best positive. Um, it has to be sustainable in terms of climate, uh, even cultural heritage and uh, the use of nature by indigenous people. It becomes really complicated when we look to 2030, which is like, you know, it's like six years ahead, you know, is no time to to uh, almost no time to do these kind of, of changes and, and making it more difficult. So I think we will have a discussion in in the, the society about what what are the most important driver for us. I mean, um, we had a clash during the Arndal Suka. Uh, Can you say what Arndal Suka is, just for the ones who don't know what it is? So Arndal Suka, this is the the week in Norway during August, where politicians and you got uh, government and industri industry and are. Uh, RTOs and universities that come together to discuss pressing issues in the society. And this year it was also an uh, election year, although regional elections, but a uh, very important meeting place, I would say, for Norwegian decision makers. Yeah. And you presented a, a like a policy brief there, and we're going to talk about that because that... Yeah, but there, there was a clash after that between the uh, NGO Bellona and um, Fredrik Hauge and, and Greenpeace. Um with the Gulovsen, uh, really about, you know, what are the most important items? Is it nature? Is it climate? And, and how do we balance this, you know? And I think we'll see more of those kind of discussions. And I, I don't have the receipt on, receipt on how to solve that. But I think we, you know, uh, because of the pace needed, that we need to do some concessions. I'm pretty sure about that. What do you think are the concessions likely going to be? Will we build a lot of onshore wind farms in, in Sami lands or...? Well, will that, we, that will we not I mean, obviously build out so much? that's the political decision in Norway with Melkea um, up in Finnmark that um, to have uh, the possibility to electrify that oil and gas plant or producing a liquid natural gas, um, it will be uh, from wind from Finnmark's Vida, and this is contentious of of course uh, building the the wind turbines and also the transfer lines. But I think it's putting the, uh, the society to test, really, on what do we think is the most important. I mean, some people would say, you know, 
just close down the plant because we don't need more hydrocarbons really into the uh, society. But the, the real politics is how we're going to make this um, the footprint as small as possible. I mean, I, I was I, I lived three years in Brussels, and um, when talking about electrifying oil and gas, uh, people don't understand that at all. You know, it's a bit strange for them. That you would use. What do you mean, people? You mean Brussels people? Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, also the Commission people. That we would use electricity to decarbonize oil and gas. It's a strange thought for them. Well, yeah. Well, why would you say it's not strange? No, no. It's strange, know, is it? But in Norway, it's a kind of natural I know thing it. we're discussing, you know, <laughs> to do this and to get out of this this emission um, uh, limit we have and the problems we have with that. It's clear that we also need to decarbonize the oil and gas activity, which is uh, needed, but has to be decarbonized also in terms of what uh, what happens when these are used. The question with oil and gas is how much do we want to put in there? Like in the beginning of the summer, we had not 20 million, not 60 million euros put in there, but 20 billion euros uh, was approved by the Norwegian government. And this is not, yeah. oh, this doesn't look like phase yeah. out, this looks like phase in. Or Well, it's the same as they're yeah. doing now in the UK. Uh, Richard yeah. Sunak. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about it because you just yeah. mentioned a couple of um, goals that we are having in Norway for 2030. One of them is, for example, that we have that we want to have eight terawatt hours of solar um, coming from solar. That's about uh, that's about what's that nine nine gig nine nine hundred gigawatt I think. Um, and, and now we see, for example, in the UK, Rishi Sunak just said today or yesterday or three two days ago that oh we we we're we have this goal of climate like um, to reduce emissions but we realize we don't manage so now we have to reduce the goal is that is that what we're going to see a lot in, in, in other countries in the future like it's easy to make goals but yeah uh, I'm afraid that that could be a result out of these uh, targets we have for 2030 and 20 also Norway do you expect that oh, well it's I think it will be very difficult uh, but At some, I think at some time it will implode because you have politicians now saying that we'll reach the 55% target, no problem. But by the way, we'll just continue as we've done before, you know, and everybody can see that that is not going to happen. We're not going to reach these targets. Uh, we will need to do as best as we, we can, of course, and that's why we do research, education, innovation in that space. But um, um, at some at some time there will be a, a real discussion in the society. I think about well, uh, why did we why didn't we follow up on these targets? Targets are easy to set. Uh, Norway was not allowed to speak in the uh, UN in um, in um, New York uh, this week because uh, Guterres wanted to have uh, countries speaking and and uh, state um, uh, head of states talking about what they tr what they're going to do and not only to come with uh, increased targets. I guess we'll let that speak for itself. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's worrying, I think, you know, but uh, we've done quite well in Norway in terms of having a, a good picture and, and um, image of ourselves uh, internationally by, by doing a lot of good stuff like the red, so the, the forests and so forth. But uh, in principle, we are exporting, you know, Uh, 450 million tons per year of CO2 through oil and gas. And, uh, well, um, I think at some time we need to take responsibility for that as well, as we have seen now also court cases coming up in California, uh, suing five uh, oil and gas companies for emitting so much emissions and knowing about it for a long time, and also about the disproportionate um uh coverage of this uh, to the media about what they're doing like for instance you know well bp was one coined as beyond petroleum it's it's not you know I they mean, gave they, that name to themselves they did that you know and so i i, I was actually lured into th thinking that it was you know they had changed a name but it's like 0.1% of the activity. No offense, done. but there's another big company in this country that changed its name. I don't know about that. Uh, I have uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nils, in, in, all to, in all of these things and all the, uh, you know, first thing, I, when, before we started, we, you know, it's easy to make another podcast where it's all misery, everything's bad, but that is not the point here. No. So we're going to talk about actionable things we can do also later. So in all of this situation that we just described, that you just described, There we find ourselves with another challenge, and that is the electricity or the power deficit that is looming in 26, 27. Um, it was, yeah, it comes from Startnet mainly, but maybe give give us an idea, like, 
what is a what is a electricity deficit or surplus, and why are we running it into it now? Well, basically because I mean we're electrifying the society and we don't uh, develop more power, and so that's the the reason why we're getting to a, you know to balance point and uh, and it's really hard to get people to understand that. Uh, energy has or electricity has to be used instantly or stored and we have the perfect storage system in Norway with our dams you know where we can store this but that also means that we have the flexibility to exchange with Europe and um, through through cables and um, Europe has set very high targets for renewable electricity production and they would need to have storage so I think you know that the uh, this possibility to be this uh, green battery for for Europe, which has been discussed and has been a kind of slogan for for Antenu also and and Sinte for over some some years to and think also about in this. Germany they talk about that. Yeah, I mean, to look into that as a possibility as as well, you know, because we we are not an island in Europe; we are part of Europe. And when it comes to the deficit, well, it's said that. We'll probably be in a balance in about 2027. The has come with some new um, uh, st statistics on, on this now, but it, it's also very much a political uh, decision on what kind of uh, industry do we want in this uh, country and which kind of industry do we want to allow to continue you know, or, or to be established. And we have... I think there are good initiatives on renewables uh, and batteries, for instance. You know, These are really important and they would need... Uh, electricity for that. Um, it should be used as efficient as uh, possible. But um, I think it's fair to say that uh, when we're going to decarbonize the society, we would and take away all oil and gas in that up to say, well, I hope 2040, 2045, um, that um, that will have to be filled by something. You, you cannot save all that energy uh, and still have a thriving industry, I think. So you would need to develop and with that, uh, you come into these issues about, well, improving hydropower dams or hydropower systems, maybe extend them. Uh, how about uh, wind power onshore? Is that a no-no? I mean, that's actually a, a profitable thing to do, you know? Um, and then, profitable. profitable. Yeah, and uh, we're working, you know, day and night to get better offshore wind systems and uh, it's really good that we see the, the pilots and the demonstration and the full-scale plans happening on floating wheel wind, although uh, more costly than it is for onshore wind or bottom fixed. But I think those, those you know, hydropower um, wind is going to be so important for for uh, for Norway and also the energy energy efficiency part. In many countries, you know, when we don't hit the the goals for for the installation of capacity, we just say, okay, we just buy it from other countries. The electricity. Mm -hmm. So Norway had a, a surplus for about like twenty terawatt. Now it's going down to ten terawatt hours a year. And then when we run into the deficit, we gonna that's the deficit we're gonna have at least more or less like ten terawatts twenty. Uh, can you give us an idea about the countries around us? Why can't like it's a it's it's a specifically naive question to ask, but why can't we just buy more electricity from others? Well, maybe we can. I mean, as, as as I said, I mean, there's been one researcher from Sinte who's been out in the media lately, also saying that if um, Europe develops the electricity production that they say that they will, you know, to reach the target, so fifty five production, fifty five percent reductions in twenty thirty and towards climate neutrality in twenty fifty, um, there will be a lot of flexibility needed, and. Um, in that, we could buy really cheap electricity when there is um, masses of that and um, then have a exchange, you know, using our dams. And I think that is uh, something we also need to take into consideration. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the Strømprisutvalget, which is uh, coming next uh, month. Um, I think it's 15th of October, um, where we will uh, uh, see what kind of models uh, is uh, suggested from from this uh, this um, advisory board. Yeah. So normally, obviously, you know that um, when we have uh, a function of demand and supply, and we have less supply, then uh, the price goes up, and then we might have something that we yeah, saw but, last year. But I mean, these days, I mean, the power is is free here. Yeah, in central Norway. Yeah. And in southern Norway, that's connected to, to, to Central Europe, it's not free. No, but it's really low now because there's been a lot of precipitation as well. Mm. You know? and, and people 
don't really they don't complain when there is negative prices but when there is high, higher prices of course they they uh, complain whereas and that, that's kind of the culture in Norway I think it's like um, it's like gas prices in the US whereas you have interest rates which have been increased from one and a half to six percent you know which for young people and and old people like me and me as well although I'm not young anymore which have more more mortgages mortgages we have to pay you know and and the interest rates has a much larger impact than this and um, if we're going to keep everything constant and still do the energy transition tell you what this is not going to work yeah and uh, at least it looks like as if we might have higher prices so let's have a look at like what can we do in order to maybe what are the ideas will be in order to tackle that looming uh, deficit that we might have in 27 28 29 and um, when we met the first time in Arndalsuka that's about a month ago mm. um, you presented a couple of ideas that was was it was it a policy brief what was that document that we you were presenting there well it was uh, three advices to the politicians and um, one of them how was many did, sorry how many did listen Well, we had a fair number of people coming to the, uh, to the actually the the cinema uh, in Arndal. So I think it was about 200 people there. You know, so that's that's pretty good. Um, but the first advice was was really to look at the the local solutions and what you can do uh, to develop uh, renewable energy. And um, uh, the second was about uh, use the right energy carrier for the right purpose. It's not only electricity, as I said. Um, And and the third was kind of default one. You know, we are spending like uh, a half uh, of a thousand percent uh, in uh, research in energy in Norway, which is obviously not enough to address <laughs> the most looming problem in the world, you know, energy, uh, which is climate and uh, emissions. So that was the third one. But look, let's look at the two first ones. Huh? It's really about... Um, <clears throat> You could have uh, uh, regions where you could develop uh, wind, for instance, and you need then to discuss with people living in that region. Do you want it? You know, what are the benefits for you? What are the the possibilities? And um, one idea was actually to bring up a model like the Paris uh, Agreement on climate that you would have um, different communities. They could bid into what they would like to contribute to the energy transition. And actually, uh, one of my colleagues and dear friends, Johan uh, Husta, he wrote a piece in uh, the Norwegian Financial Times about this and how how that could be how that could be uh, be done, because then it would be voluntarily contributions to that. And um, I think all the items I've mentioned, you know, efficiency. I mean. 20 terawatt hours of of heat which is available from uh, Norwegian smelters and uh, and process industry um, uh, solar uh, the wind and so forth all that you know is part of that portfolio then the second one was really about how uh, use the right energy carrier and that was also thinking about using um, hydrogen as a energy carrier um, in Norway uh, to decarbonize whatever we used We use today, uh, which is fed by by gas or or oil, and which you cannot electrify. Uh, What would that e be? Give easy. us some examples. Well, hydrogen could be used in the industry, for instance, for metal uh, smelters instead of using uh, carbon or coal and coke. Um, and you can also use it for the hard to bait sectors like uh, deep shipping. So when you need to go further than the ferry between here and Flak and Rødvik, you know. Um, and um, uh, ammonia can also be used for these kind of purposes for ships and, and so forth, which is a derivative of, uh, of hydrogen. So, uh, and the other one is really about using CCS. So taking away emissions also from hard to bait sectors, like for instance, cement. I mean, we have a pilot project uh, um, starting these days. Uh, actually, it has started uh, in Brevik to decarbonize that um, uh, cement plant. Um, by taking out 400,000 tons of um, of CO2 from that plant and store it safely under the the continental uh, shelf, but the pace, I mean, things take so much time is really frustrating, I must say. And uh, when politicians talk about this, is as if we have all the time in the world, whereas we actually have six and a half. Yeah, 
to reach these 55 percent targets you know that's that's really uh something which crashes in my head sometimes yeah when you talk to colleagues is that is a feeling that is similar with others like not just in research yeah i think so i mean the um, uh, if you, you follow the discussion uh, and see what actions are being taken, it's it's pretty clear, you know, that politicians are talking against their uh, better uh, knowledge, really. But maybe it's also easy to just, you know, talk not yeah, so great about the politicians. Yeah, um, I, I but agree, there's probably. You know, I agree. It's easy to say that yeah. towards politicians, but this is also the mandate we give the politicians uh, from our voting on what what would you like to that party to do and and not, you know. And um, they only uh, politicians can only go so far as the uh, mandate which is given by the people, and uh, I'm afraid we don't give them the mandate to go further than they do uh, today. Actually, yeah. so you said three ways of how to tackle maybe the the deficit would be deploy renewables locally, and then yeah. the second one was use the right renewables for the right application. And the third yeah. one is finance more energy research. Yeah. Um, well, you shouldn't laugh. I mean, uh, no, no, no. I you, think you, it's important. Like, what yeah, do yeah, I but, do? But I'm also just think about it. I mean, we're in this situation now, and the government is dropping research and innovation funds for these kind of solutions. It's like crazy. But if you have three points, then one is research. That's like self-referential, isn't it? Like, I know you can do that and I can do that and we should do that and there should be more research and it's, there's and a lot of people of who course, cannot yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. who cannot do a PhD or maybe cannot work on their project, which is important. Mm. Um, but I was just wondering, like, maybe that's, that, that's a tip that could only come from another fellow researcher, you know, give mm -hmm. the researchers more, more money. Well, that's towards the ministry, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. no, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, what I missed in these three points, and obviously three points is three points and you cannot really reflect the whole complexity of, of these systems. Granted, yeah. Um, it's like offshore wind. Where would that be? And the second question is: There's nothing in there. Maybe, maybe I didn't. You know, maybe you can elaborate on that. But it's like always more, 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 more. I don't really un see a lot of like incentives to maybe use less. Like there's mm -hmm. not a lot of investment into, or not that I see. Maybe I'm just half blind and I have only one eye. But like energy efficiency, uh, then also increasing the performance of buildings. When you look around in Norway, yes, it is cold and the houses are okay insulated, but like not amazingly. So mm -hmm. what about these points? So. Um I'm a bit surprised you didn't find it in the three advices, actually. But if you look at the, there is a link there to the background reports, which is elaborating on energy efficiency and um, not only in housings, but also in, in industry, you know, which is a huge potential. And um, I think it should be uh, requirements, regulations saying that you need to use the energy that uh, to the full extent, you know, uh, which is possible and use more heat pumps in the, the industry and um, also on how you can uh, create new processes which uh, are more efficient than they are today. And um, well, there is there's a huge potential also in, in housings and mm. dwellings, uh, obviously. Um, and and um, we've seen that, uh, you know, the, the notion of plus houses is real now. You can do mm. that. You can do that. And uh, with the current, with the electricity prices or energy prices, which have been the, the two last year, at least uh, if you look so, uh, southern part of Norway, they would be highly profitable. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I would one more topic that I would love to touch upon you is, and I was wondering how we could maybe think about that further in Norway, but also when it comes to energy research, and that is this topic that you mentioned right in the beginning, and that that's one of the um, one of the columns that you were uh, columns. Is that the right word? No, oh, Amber. Was that how? What's what do you? What is the things that you write in in Forbes? Is that uh, a, contributions? Contributions you call it, you call it like well, articles? Like huh? yeah, 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 yeah. You write about you write about <clears throat> degrowth. Yeah. Um, and uh, I feel very often, when, also when we think about the energy transition, it's like, oh, we need more capital, we need more infrastructure, we need more, I don't know, you know, electrification of Melkoya, always more, 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 more. Mm -hmm. And when we think about efficiency, that's maybe one good opportunity. But the second one is like degrowth. Can you, can you, do you see, how would you see that happening? And the second question, and I know I'm good at asking many questions at the same time, but can we ask other countries to also degrow? Because um. we, when we think about the, 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 the capital, uh, the, the, the GDP in Norway, it's a very different GDP, for example, in other countries. Like I looked it up, uh, Burundi has a, uh, has a GDP per, per capita of $220 and Mozambique of $490. So uh, yeah. how do you see that's feasible? Well, or like, how could that be feasible? Uh, first of all, I think people understand the 
post-growth uh, designation, kind of, because I mean, we have one planet, and there is limit to growth. Huh? Uh, there's there's a kind of used uh, terms, and um, <clears throat> uh, but we have an economy which is based upon growth. I mean, it co just collapses if you don't have growth. Huh? It just uh, disassembles. And uh, that's why it's really uh, difficult to discuss this um, with economists or other others because it's like this it crashes the whole the whole model is based upon. It. But on the other hand, we know that is limits, and there are limits on materials, there are limits on on whatever kind of uh, input factors. And there is a limit, and we we know that we use the sustainable use of uh, what we can use sustainably we're already past that around uh, summer or something yeah, like yeah. that you know mm. like so overshoot day isn't yeah, it? yeah. Like, overshoot yeah. day that's mm. uh, the, that's the name for that and um, um, so what do we need i mean we need a, a strategy for for tailoring off really and what do we should, should we put in center it's it's really the well-being of you and me and what is the uh, what is the well-being of a human? You know, that's, mm. that's the big question here, in my view. Um, and in the Western world, I mean, well-being is usually more comfort, more more things, uh, 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 all the the things that we we buy which we don't need. I had an example about uh, cruise ships actually in that uh, piece, you know, because I uh, well, I was actually on a trip myself. On a cruise not, ship, not on the cruise ship, though, no. but I was in Olesund and went up to Axla, and I, I looked out on the harbor and saw two huge cruise ships there, and a lot of, uh, uh, of small boats around there, and think, and I just thought, this is nobody needs, nobody needs this. I mean, it's not about human well-being in this, you know, it, it's just surplus it's uh, something you they can do because you have the money for it and it's linked to what we uh, see as uh, a good life you know but we what we really need is more the more, more the basic needs and this crashes completely just to talk about this i mean just think about all the feedback you got on that uh, uh, op-ed in in forbes you know like where are you going to get your pension from you know and uh, do you want to feed your uh, your um, your children with the grass and things like that you know people i mean it's just crashes completely but i, I think it's um, it's something we need to discuss in the research communities and at universities and uh, there was a huge conference in brussels uh, in may 17th of may actually um, discussing this with thinkers from from lund university and so forth which uh, jason hickel which have been campaigning for this and it adds, adds, I think the idea on the topic is really ex expanded, mm. but we need to understand more about it. And some have been talking about that regenerative growth, use what we have. Mm. And that's, you know, it's, that's different, I think, between fossil fuels and materials, because materials, we could see that at one stage you are producing enough for the society because you can recycle it, you know, that's, that's not the easy with fossil fuels, I think. So in your in your in that column in that op-ed you also mentioned Bhutan. So do you think yes. Norway has some things to learn from Bhutan? Uh, well, there were a couple of comments about that as well. You know, shouldn't you go to Bhutan? Which is no, not uh, you going to Bhutan. Like us, like what what can we learn from Bhutan? Maybe if at all. Well, they, they, <laughs> well, I mean, you can say a lot about Bhutan, I guess. But what they've done is really to to uh, to establish an index of happiness instead. You know, so measuring different things than just uh, wealth uh, to be a happiness uh, factor and uh, i think that's refreshing as as a as a concept and but we need to to understand more about uh, how that will work and like uh, joseph stiglitz the um, uh, nobel prize winner uh, for economy some years ago he has also said that it's really hard to see how you can stop growth uh, at the same time when you need all these new solutions to reach our climate targets. But obviously then it's the demand side, as you say. If you reduce the demand, the, the gap also becomes uh, smaller. Huh? Mm. Degrowth, green growth, regrowth. Regenerative. Regenerative growth. growth. Yeah. 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 Good. Niels, we're coming a bit to the end. Um, and uh, prepping for this episode, I, I asked some colleagues to, to, to uh, send in a, uh, in a question, uh, like give me some ideas. And uh, so I'm just mm -hmm. going to drop one onto you. If you were the king of the world, what would you do in Norway? 
<laughs> and uh, no, like apart from these three points, like you can you can recycle them again. But like, what are what are your main points that we th should think uh, of doing very quickly within the next six years that we have until these targets? Yeah, we should hit these targets. Ah, uh, okay. Um, if you want to add, like, if you want to add to the other points that you mentioned, yeah, I think I alluded to to a lot of it. But I think it's really to put action behind the targets, you know, and. Um, um, I think it's really important to to for the people to have also ownership to this transition. I don't think they have that uh, at present. They are kind of defranchised of this discussion, and I think that's that's uh, that's uh, really important. So if I was the king of the world, oh, and king of Norway, Harald, Har Harald, well, he Rukke. doesn't have any power anyway. <laughs> no, I know. No, but the, the 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 prime minister. Well, I I think they really should. Uh, synchronize their policies on from the Ministry of Petroleum Energy, the Climate uh, and Environmental uh, Ministry, and the uh, uh, Ministry for Trade and uh, Trade and uh, Economy, whatever. Um, ah, it's, it's a different name too. It's uh, it's Nidings um, and that these these policies policies actually work together because they don't at present. Um, and um, I think we need to take the, the hard discussions in the, uh, in the population in Norway. Uh, we need to electrify, we need to get these uh, zero emission electrons, zero emission uh, molecules in place and then stop making excuses for, being, uh, for this being so hard to do but it, because it can be done if there is support from the people. And that's, I think, is one of the key things is that policies are being implemented by policymakers, but policymakers are influenced by by the yeah, people, it's and it's so easy. Huh? Yeah, but it's so easy to, as you said, just to be disenfranchised. And I, we talked about that also right in the beginning that like it's important that each of us does something. So, what would you think are good ideas that people can do uh, for getting it, getting it accelerated? We as individuals. Because there might be a lot of people listening to this podcast right now yeah, and thinking, so. Um, so what could I do? Well, make sustainable choices in the day-to-day -day, uh, activities. I think it's really important. And um, I'm not going to go the, down the alley on electric cars and, and so forth, because that's kind of, it's really great because in Norway, this has become the natural thing to do. And this is how it has to be. I think you would need to take, you'll take the sustainable choice because it's the natural uh, thing to do and um, to try to reduce our footprint, uh, all of us. Uh, I'm doing terribly bad on that because I'm traveling a lot. As I said, I was in Düsseldorf yesterday talking about sustainability solutions, um, but I, I could give a, a longer explanation for why that's a good thing to do. <laughs> but I think we need to do this uh, day by day uh, decisions and it doesn't, st I mean, does it? I mean, we are eat. Uh, we are having less meals now with red meat, for instance. You know, um, so. But do we care? I mean, it's, it's a kind of natural thing to do, isn't it? Um, uh, how do we transport ourselves to to job? Well, um, oh, there's been a huge transition towards walking, uh, doing collective transport means, and bicycling. So, I think there are a lot of things that you have to do. Um, and to change the, uh, the the behavior, and don't think that the, this the climate change is something el someone else has to fix. We need to be part of that, every everybody, and not talk about China and so forth. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, we cannot do much toward China. What we can do is is here, and China um, they they have to do their things uh, to get this uh, in order. Thanks, dear Niels, for joining us today. Hey, everyone, give a good hand of applause to Niels Wecker for today, babe. Good. And now we would like to open the floor for a conversation. Um, and I would love for you to talk with your peers, one person or another person, or like you four, um, and you find yourself, what you think where, um, what did you learn? And one thing is wh where you are having issues with maybe Niels's argumentation or, or things that we didn't cover. And you talk two or three minutes and then from each of these three, four groups, we'll get one question um, for Niels. Is that okay? So let's go.
Hi, my name is Alfredo uh, Miranda. I work at Cleaner Task Force, and I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Uh, and Nils, thank you very much for your excellent presentation, and Ulysses as well for your great moderation. I think I, I was wondering, uh, Nils uh, mentioned, um, well, we wanted, there was two things. One is we wanted to understand more what the growth implies for a society, like how that looks like. How can we can how can we visualize that? No, or what does it represent? What sacrifices will we have to make? I guess basically that was one question, and then the other question that I uh, that we also had was, you mentioned a lack of regulations to mandate the use of like energy in industry. No, and I'm wondering, well, if the energy is there and we know that uh, we need the regulations, whose responsibility is it to make these regulations, and why are they not being done? Especially if it's, as you said, profitable with the energy, with the electricity prices that we have had for the last two years. Um, so that was it. Thanks. Would my address is yeah. 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 Let's take the the second one first because I think that's the easiest one. Um, <laughs> uh, when it comes to the regulations on utilize, utilization of uh, energy, we already have that. For instance, for hydropower you know you need to utilize that at the best uh, for the common good that utilize uh, hydropower to when you have the concession to use that uh, but we don't have that for the same for um, uh, waste heat for instance you know so if you have uh, waste heat say at 200 degrees you're still allowed to dump that it into the environment into the atmosphere or water whatever and uh, we think that should be a, a regulation which um which uh, limits this possibility and i i see that in some of the new regulations um, there is actually um, um, also activities and support for installing such a requirement that you cannot dump uh, huge amounts of energy although at a lower level uh, from for instance huge uh, electrolysis uh, or aluminium electrolysis, for instance, you know, electrolysis. If you have huge amounts of heat from from that, you're using the clean power to produce aluminium, um, and then you better take care of the energy which is kind of lost today as well. And that's been a great driver to to one of the the centers we have at Sintef and Antenu about efficiency. There's one called High F which have been working on this is also agenda setting together with the government that there need to be requirements on using these kind of uh, waste heats um, and and it's 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 you know profitable but when we talk about profitable it's about uh, what is the kind of um, profitable from a company's point of view versus society yeah? um, when uh, I hope that addresses your question on, on the um, use of, of low-grade energy. Um, when it comes to the, the post-growth, um, I, I think it's... it's I, I don't have an answer to that, really. It's, it's really complex. Um, um, I think there is... Uh, it, it's going to be very hard to do this uh, degrowth or whatever post-growth uh, uh, path you're going to, to follow if it's not uh, done by uh, or everybody. I mean, if it's one country or one group in a country which have to take this uh, this degrowth or to to reduce their uh, what is now uh, seen as the as as wealth or comfort is going to be very very important, very very sorry, very very difficult to do that. Um, so I need I, I'm afraid we need to come to the point where people see that this is just simply not sustainable. We just cannot go on like this. And when it comes to what what are the um, uh, losses and so forth, I'm, I'm not so quite sure what what are the losses. I mean, if you're if you have uh, just imagine the, the summers we had globally uh, this year, if they become more and more fierce, which they will become, uh, is that a good life? You know, is is that uh, fulfilling the needs of, of society and humans? I don't think so. So um, I think it's important that the, there is a, a level playing field, so to speak. I un also understand that it would be very, very difficult to reach that uh, level playing field uh, and that everybody takes its, its part of this. But I'm, I'm not sure that um, the, the losses or the uh, loss of, of quality as we measure it in the Western world 
um, is actually lost at that point. Hello, Nils. Thanks for being here today. It's a very interesting conversation. Uh, my name is Amber Nothelm. I'm a PhD candidate at NTNU. And uh, so we were talking and I had uh, had a question of, um, you were talking about how you do global sustainable development uh, work at Cintuf. And then you mentioned that there's um, Norway's exporting 420 million tons of uh, gas a year, I think you said. And so I was wondering if Norway's uh, doing anything to reduce this demand, and if so, and, and if not, um, what could they be doing or should they be doing? Mm. So the, the answer is no. I mean, we're not trying to reduce our exports on oil and gas. I mean, the, when you ask that question to politicians, Norway says it's, it's the market who is deciding, and we are not emitting those, those uh, molecules ourselves. But that doesn't hold, you know, in in a kind of a larger context. Um, so to to improve on this, I think Norway really had to put up uh, put up also the the um, the, uh, the emissions which is caused by by these exports. That we need to have solutions for that, and that is part of what we're doing in both Sintevenen and Tanu and other uh, universities and institutes of all. Course on how can we lessen this burden by, for instance, uh, bringing in technologies which can take care of the emissions, like CCS, or to produce something else of it and take care of the, the, the carbon uh, emissions. But if you look to the, the, um, the effort done in these areas compared to the emissions which are exported as we speak, you know, it, it's really minute, it's really small. But um, not sure if we can find any comparable situation where someone who is selling something which is really in demand in the market and paid well for, that they will stop selling it. I'm not sure. The only only feedback, I guess, if it give, gives you a bad name or it hurts yourself in the longer term. And I'm afraid that we're, we're approaching that situation pretty soon. I mentioned the California uh, lawsuit and... Uh, also what we saw in, in New York, you know. So, yeah, um, I think we are approaching that um, point where we see that actually this is hurting us in, in the larger. Uh, and it does, of course, I mean, if you look to the, the cost of carbon, for instance, um, today is hardly any cost of emitting carbon if you look at the global scale. Um, the uh, Obama administration had uh, like $43 per ton CO2. Um, uh, Trump, in his uh, wisdom, he, redu he reduced it to five. Uh, now it's uh, back to 51, I think, in Biden. But the EPA, the uh, Environmental Agency in the US, has set now a target of 151 as the more realistic price. So it's not as if these kind of emissions, they are just the, the environment welcome it and there is no price to be paid. You know, there is a price to be paid. And I think that will will go back to the exporters of fossil fuels uh, eventually. In the European Emission Trading Scheme, they say that we need about a price of 160 euros um, to really have an impact. So that's kind of close to what you just mentioned with 150 dollars. Um, thank you for that. So that group's done here, the first group here. Uh, thank you for this uh, informative talk. Uh, my name is uh, also Niels. I'm a PhD candidate at uh, MTNU. Uh, first, I would like to comment on this uh, use of spill uh, overheat from uh, industries. I think uh, in the industry should look to the waste uh, uh, to energy sector where they already have a good heat integration in the use of, of heat there, mm -hmm. which could be applied in this sector as well, I think. Just a hunch. Uh, and, and then to our question that uh, if you think to the, the, the local election that was in Norway just now, you can see a sort of... Um, almost an abandonment of the, the, the climate issues, uh, especially if you look at the, um, the elections in the high schools, the environmental parties are getting less traction and the parties like the, the Progress Party and, yeah. and Right are increasing in popularity. And to me, this shows that perhaps we as scientists, since we uh, and those perhaps listening to the podcast as well, um, are doing a poor job of um, translating and communicating how um, bad these issues are and how important it is that we communicate them better to the broad public so my uh, my uh, question to you is what can we do better mm. well that's the easy one I guess yeah um, 
Well, I, I mean, I w some years ago, I was kind of uh, saying that we must not use the doom and gloom uh, anymore, you know, uh, because it's kind of, it creates distance to people because they think this is really hard to do and someone else has to do it, you know. Uh, but I, I think, I think differently now um, that uh, people are getting a closer relationship to what is what is changing around you. I mean, like myself, I see, I used to, uh, when driving cars like uh, forty years ago, um, it was full of insects during the summer in the front. You know, nowadays you don't need to remove a single insect almost. You know, from from the front of your car. So a lot of things are happening and it has an impact on your, your life and the quality of life. Like also to have experiences of uh, wilderness and nature and, and uh, so forth. So I, I think we need just to, um, to bring the facts to the table all the time. And I mean the, we don't have time for distractions really at, the, at, the, at present. Although I must say I'm, I'm a bit... Um, uh, concern when we see also the movement in Europe uh, you know I mentioned uh, we mentioned uh, uh, Britain although they are not part of EU but also there are new um, uh, elections now for the, the parliament and uh, that we will see that uh, we will probably have parties which have less focus on climate change and uh, nature conservation and that is really worrying in my view if, if that's uh, going to happen. So what can we do as researchers? Well, bring the fact to the table and to the decision makers relentless, you know, just bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. I don't care if people get uh, with tired of these messages. It's just a fact and facts. We cannot rule based on opinions and views. Shall we be the water that shapes the rock huh? again yeah. and again and again and again? Nice. Yeah. We have one more group there. Thank you for the podcast, both of you. It was really nice, interesting, and I especially enjoyed the conversation towards the end. And um, we talked about when you said that in Norway, it's like a more natural. Um, we choose the sustainable decision more naturally. Um, from my own experience, like I am half Indonesian, half Norwegian, so an example is when I'm in Norway, I recycle the bottles, right? When I'm in Indonesia, this does not exist. So then I cannot do like the sustainable choice because there is no infrastructure to actually do it. So it isn't like a choice in the system. And for me, this is interesting to like observe because then I keep thinking like, okay, um, we, we have to take ownership of sustainable choices and everything. But like, who's, who is responsible to like make the choices possible? Do you know what I mean? Is it like us, the consumers, or is it like from the top or like, is it a, um, like working together or? Well, I think, you know, it's regulations, really. Um, but um, and, and it has to have a reasonable support in the society and, and by people that you do these regulations. But if you look to the regulation on recycling bottles and so forth, I mean, that's, that's uh, uh, a regulation in, in Norway, which was early there, uh, which also created businesses, actually, on this kind of of machines, which, uh, which takes uh, these kind of bottles, which have become... Uh, uh, quite a profitable uh, business and um, uh, yeah so I think the regulations are extremely important in this uh, this context and the plastic issue yes it's it's really uh, uh, terrible uh, when you look to the oceans and what is has been found there over the, the years um, and um, well we can only press on I think to to become better at this and um, well, as coming from an RTO, research technology organization, also to develop technologies which can do the, the cleanup. And um, I'm, I'm sorry to say that we also need technologies which actually will be able to take out 
carbon dioxide from the from the air, you know, because we're going to overshoot these targets, and then we need technologies which can take CO two out from the air. Just think about how inefficient that is, but just that's how the governance is uh, in in the world, huh? yeah, since we have so much in the atmosphere already. Everyone, yeah. thanks jo for joining today for this podcast episode. Niels, thanks for joining as well. Give ourselves, everyone, and yourself a good hand of applause. Thank you, guys and ladies. That was episode 56 of the Anti-New Energy Transition Podcast. I hope you liked it. I hope it provided value to you. If it did, I would be really happy if you would give us a five-star rating at uh, Spotify or at Apple Podcasts because that would help this podcast to get more visibility. And or I would also be really happy if you would maybe tell one person, one colleague or friend who is also interested in energy topics uh, yeah, to ask him or her to also have a listen into this podcast. That would be great because like that, it might have some impact when it comes to accelerating the energy transition in Norway and beyond. Thanks for that and looking forward to have you back in two weeks.